0: Chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And if you have the church Bible, the normal version, it's page 966. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him.
1: Thanks very much, Caroline. Well, next year we have, if you're not aware yet, a general election taking place in this country. Um, David Cameron and the leaders of the other parties will be trying very hard to convince us to vote for them, Um, trying to present them as the party that is best qualified to to lead and manage this country, whether it's managing the economy, um, investing in the health service, maybe... um, Giving us freedom from Europe. Who knows what their um, uh, party line will be? Earlier this year, business leader Sir Sir Richard Broadbent resigned as chairman of Tesco's. I don't know whether you remember that. Um, The company revealed profits that um, had been exaggerated by um, the small matter of £250 million, and um, he resigned after that. Another resignation was um, Felipe Scolari. If you don't know him, he's uh, Big Phil, the manager of Brazil. Um, who resigned after they suffered a, their biggest defeat in a World Cup, 7-1 to, to Germany. Good leadership, whether it's of a country, whether it's of a business, whether it's of a football team, is crucial to the health of those who are being led by, by leaders. And in our passage this morning, we're reading about some, some magi, some wise men who study the stars um, who would probably be called today astrologers but without all the sophisticated telescopes that we enjoy today they've come asking a question and that is the question we've been looking at already this morning where is the one who's been born king of the Jews we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him well many countries in the world today are republics they no longer have kings we do still have a monarchy in this country But um, you could argue that, well, the real power rests with uh, the Queen's Prime Minister and her her government. But we recognise what is being talked about here when it talks of a king. It means somebody with authority to reign. Somebody to whose authority you submit yourself. And the Magi have come looking for this king. They didn't come when Jesus was a baby. But sometime afterwards, within probably two years of his birth... And they came from the east, probably modern-day Iraq or Iran. Um, They had quite a long journey to to undertake. Here we have um, a journey of three wise people, or maybe not quite so wise, this summer. Um, And I can tell you, traveling on a camel is not a very comfortable journey. So um, uh, it wouldn't have been a long, a comfortable journey for them. But they came looking for a king. It's a great story, isn't it? You've got to say that um, you've got these exotic travelers following a star, uh, leading them to a new king who's still a, a toddler, living in humble surroundings. And yet they bow down and worship him as a king. They give him gifts fit for a king. And it's a strange story as well, isn't it? Why would these wise men come from another country? Why wouldn't they stay in their own country, worship their own king? What was special about this king and this foreign country. Why would they go to all that effort? Well, what this star seemed to be signaling to them that this king was a very special king and they had to check it out. They could not avoid doing so. The question I'd like to consider this morning is what is it about Jesus that made the Magi travel hundreds of miles to find him and bow down and give him their precious gifts? And what is it that makes people 2,000 years on from all nations still celebrate this event what is it about him that's made billions of people from all nations down the years worship him as their king why is Jesus worth following why can't we simply think well nice story nice baby manger nice animals interesting characters great for children to act out enjoy the nativity plays let's just leave it at that and go on with normal life. Well, this passage gives us two reasons why Jesus is a leader who is worth following. And the first of those is that Jesus is a divine king. He's not someone who's been named king by his fans. He's not someone who's been crowned king by his people. He's not someone who's made himself king, but he's been anointed king by God. He's fully man but he's also fully God. And that means he's above all human authority. Well, the human king in power at that time was Herod. He was a powerful king. He reigned for 36 years. He was a close ally of Rome, somebody who wouldn't stop at anything, even the murder of members of his own family, to remain in power. He was a powerful king in human terms, and yet he didn't know about the birth of Jesus. It was only when the Magi came to him that it came to his attention. And his first reaction is to panic. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. He is worried, because he sees the birth of this new king as a threat to the rule that he's established for himself. And he's desperately clinging on to his power. He's smart, he's deceitful, and as the following verses show, He's also callous. He won't allow anything to threaten his rule. But whatever he tries to do, he cannot prevent God's will being done. What should he have done? Well, he should have done exactly the same as the Magi. He He should have gone with them and bowed down and worshipped this new eternal king. He should have accepted his divine kingship, accepted that he had to submit to his authority. But he didn't. Because he was too interested in himself. It's a human trait that we are all guilty of. If we have some sort of position, we want to protect it. If someone is threatening it, the temptation is to to do something about it. I've always done this job this way. Who does that person think they are coming in and taking it away from me? So, how does Herod try to eliminate this threat to his throne? Well, first of all, he needs to know um, where he is. In those days, they didn't have drones that could fly up high above and spot out where the people were. He had to call all the chief priests and teachers of the law together to advise him. In verse 4, he asks them, where was the Messiah to be born? It's interesting here, isn't it, that Herod refers to him as the Messiah, the Christ, The one that the scriptures said would be the anointed one who would come and save his people. Now if this baby is the Christ, if this baby is the Messiah, that doesn't bode too well for Herod, does it? Herod is clinging on to power, but Jesus is born with an authority from God. He's above all human authority. Well secondly, Jesus' kingship was prophesied. So can the Jewish leaders that Herod has summoned be of any help? Well, yes, because in the Old Testament, in Micah 5, it says the new king would come from Bethlehem. Out of you would come a ruler. Now, the fact that the arrival of this king is in exactly the place that God has promised just goes to confirm that that he is a divine king. God had planned that his birth would happen exactly in this way. And Matthew's keen to show the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mentioned on Christmas Day how Matthew begins with a genealogy, a whole list of names, which is a funny way to begin a story about Jesus. It's not exactly going to get you riveted to your seats, is it wanting more? But it was to demonstrate an important point that everything that's happened up to this point is according to God's plan. The whole of the Old Testament points to the coming of Jesus. The ironic thing is that even though the people of Israel know from where the Messiah would come, they don't do anything about it. You would have thought all the priests and teachers of the law would have legged it down to Bethlehem to see what was going on. Why don't they do that? Because they have their own idea of what a Messiah looks like. Not someone who will be born in a baby, as a baby in a stable, but one who will come in power and free them from the occupation of the Romans. Jesus' kingship was prophesied. And thirdly, Jesus is born a king of all nations. It's interesting, isn't it, that it's foreigners those from a different country who first come to worship Jesus. It's quite significant, isn't it, to see whom God chose to reveal himself first. It was the shepherds. Remember the shepherds? Tough, local guys, but poor, socially isolated. The magi, rich, wise men, but from a different country. God was planning the spread of his kingdom all types of people of all nations this is not just one who is born king of the Jews this is one who is king of all nations this is the one who is the head of the church and if you look at where Christianity is today you will see that unlike other religions which are very much more ethnic the Christian church is all over the world it's not confined to the west it is growing in Africa it is growing in South America it is growing in Asia In China, the church is growing by thousands a day. Jesus came as a king to all nations, and this is where I started with the Magi. They're the ones who went and explored to see whether a new king had been born. And what did they find? Have a look at verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. They could see that even in his humble surroundings that the child Jesus was a king. Not one who is born who one day will be king like George but one who by his very nature is king and will be king forever. And so literally they fell down. They couldn't stop themselves worshipping And part of that worship was to give their most precious gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts were costly, they were expensive, but they also carry great significance. Gold was the most precious metal, the metal that God chose to be used for the construction of the temple. It was a gift fit for a king. Frankincense was a, a precious spice used in, in Old Testament rituals that demonstrated the holiness of God. And so here the Magi recognised Jesus as a divine king. Myrrh. Probably the most unusual because it was a precious spice used to embalm the bodies of the dead. Strange gift to give a young child. But probably to symbolise that this king was born to die for his people and in actual fact it was his death in our place that would make it possible for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be able to worship God and of course the ultimate proof that Jesus is king is that he was raised from death and still reigns today on high so as we said earlier with the children his reign will be forever forever but it's one thing to say that somebody is a king or a ruler, but what makes him a good king or a good ruler? Is the only reason I should worship him because he has authority over me. After all, there are many rulers in this world who force people to accept their authority. They don't really care for their subjects. Well, the amazing thing about Jesus as king is he has perfect compassion for those over whom he reigns. Have a look at verse 6. Look at how he is described. For you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. On the one hand he's a divine ruler and king but he's also a divine shepherd. A divine shepherd. A shepherd's primary concern was to protect his, his sheep to stop them being ravaged by by wild animals. The rulers of Israel were meant to be shepherds uh, of the people of Israel, but they had failed in their duty. And God says to them in the book of Ezekiel, I put them in your care and you failed to look after them. So what does God do? Well, God does the best thing he can for them. He sends the perfect shepherd, the shepherd king, the good shepherd the one who searches for his lost sheep. That image of the sheep is used a lot in the Bible, I'm sure you're familiar with it. Isaiah 53, a very well-known verse, says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Describes our natural sense of wandering, of lostness, of independence. When sheep have gone astray, they need to be found. They can't find their own way back. And although we've been talking a lot about our human responsibility to search for God with our whole heart, if it were only left to us, we wouldn't get very far. We need God to search for us and find us. That's what it says in Ezekiel 34. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of cloud and darkness. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Well, bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. It's it's good, isn't it? Um, But why destroy the sleek and the strong? Because they're the ones who don't think they need a shepherd. They don't want to be found. They are happy um, trusting in themselves. And as they do that, God allows them to choose the way of disaster. But for those who confess their need of God's mercy, as the good shepherd, he made the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life for his sheep. Jesus later says in his ministry, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And that is why we come to worship Jesus, not just at Christmas, but every Sunday and as individuals every day of our lives. That is why we bring the gift of our lives to Jesus, because he has already given us his most precious gift, his own life, without which we would have nothing to offer. And that's why we can't just sit here this morning and dismiss this story as some sort of a fairy tale, something that doesn't require a response from us, because we are all faced with the same question with which the Magi, the Jewish leaders, and Herod were faced. Was this child that was born 2,000 years ago really a divine king? Was he really God come down to earth? How do you respond to that? Look at the way these different characters in this story responded. Herod, how did he respond? Well, he clearly thought he might be, because he ordered the slaughter of all the young boys of a similar age in Bethlehem. And that is the approach that some people will take today. They will try and and destroy Jesus, mainly by trying to make Christianity appear somehow sort of irrelevant, but often it is acting out of fear. What about the Jews? Well, they don't appear to be interested in finding out, do they? He doesn't sound like the Messiah they are expecting. He's not their idea of what he should look like. And so, well, no need to bother with him. If we leave it, it'll just go away. But of course, when Jesus began his ministry 30 years later, they soon realized he wasn't just going to go away. And they decided they too had to to kill him. And if that is you this morning thinking that it will just go away, when Christmas is all gone. It won't, because Jesus is alive in heaven. And when you come before him one day, what are you going to say to him? Are you going to say, well, I didn't really think you were worth checking out? You didn't sound particularly important to me. You weren't my idea of what God should look like? The Magi saw that Jesus was divine, that he was a king, And they responded in the only way they could, by bowing down and worshipping him, acknowledging him as king. And to prove that, because actions speak louder than words, they gave him their most precious gifts. What is the most precious gift that we can bring Jesus today? If we really accept that he is a king. As the carol goes, "Yes, what I can, I give him. Give my heart. In other words, give our whole lives. Or to make that even more understandable, to give him that thing that you value most in your life, that you could not live without, that you would rather hang on to than let God have control over. I wonder what that is to you. Maybe it's your independence, that you won't allow anybody to tell you how to live your life, even if that person is God the one who made you, the one who loves you. You won't be accountable to anyone but yourself. Maybe you're your comfort, you're, you're happy to give a proportion of your time and your wealth to God as long as it doesn't uh, stop you being able to do what you want to do. Maybe your pride. You're unwilling to admit your mistakes, your weaknesses, your struggles. Because you're afraid of how that might make you look in the eyes of others. Let me leave you with a question this morning. Who is it that rules your life? Is it your husband or your wife? Is it your children? Is it your boss at work? Is it yourself? The reason that Jesus came to earth was that none of these rulers is perfect none of them can do for you what Jesus Christ can as the divine king as the shepherd king who came to bring you back to God the Magi already had their own king and yet they came in search of this divine king the one they could worship so if you don't yet know Jesus can I urge you to search for him ask God to reveal him to you God promises you will seek me you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And if you have already found him, if you have already accepted Jesus as your king, can I ask you, is there something in your life you're holding back from him? Is there something that is too precious to you to give up for him? If that is the case, just remember what he's given up for us. Let's have a time of quiet to... um, listen to what he has to say to each one of us individually and uh, then let us then let us pray together